Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 11 o'clock service. Uh, Pastor Chris is not here. He is on a staycation, but I suspect he's watching us right now. So if you want to turn around, hey, Chris, we know you're watching. Uh, we, he'll be back next week, and he'll consider, uh, continue his series on the parables of Jesus. Some of you uh, came up to me and asked how I was feeling. Thank you for praying for me. Uh, I was under the weather a bit this week, but I am feeling much better, aside from the strange yellow growth that has come on my face this morning. <laughs> now, that's a microphone, in case you're wondering, what is that? I'm not a clown, so don't be afraid. Uh, anyway, uh, for those of you who might already be going through parable withdrawal, I decided to write one. Now, it's nothing like Jesus' parables. He can say an eternity, an infinite amount in five sentences. Uh, I can't even begin to say much in five minutes. But hopefully you can identify yourself in the story. And so if you have a cup of coffee or tea or something, sit back and enjoy the story. We'll be sharing it in two parts, one at the beginning and the second part at the end. Here's the story. There was a time not too long ago when people, few people had cars. Most people walked wherever they had to go because walking was safe, and walkers prided themselves on how strong their legs were. Now, some folks had cars, but since most people were suspicious of those newfangled gadgets, many of the drivers kept their cars locked up in their garages so no one would think they were weird. They would bring them out on Sunday, but they would lock them up during the rest of the week. Drivers tended to be very careful not to offend those who did not have a car. One day, a teenager named David was walking to school, as he always did. He was tired, as he always was. Suddenly, one of his friends pulled up alongside and asked him if he wanted a ride. His other friends, who were walking with him, warned him not to do it and poked fun at the driver. But David was curious. Okay, I'll ride with you, but just this once, David said for the benefit of his walker friends. There was a friendly-looking man sitting in front in the passenger seat, so David opened up the back door and climbed in the back seat. Who's your buddy? David asked his friend. Oh, he's the owner of the car, his driver friend replied. He goes with me wherever I drive. He comes with the car, or really the car comes with him. He is teaching me how to drive, and he shows me the best places to go and how to get there. This seemed very strange to David, but he had to admit his driver friend seemed really happy and uh, a lot less tired than he was. So he sat back and listened to them talk. Many times the man would read from the owner's manual, and though David couldn't understand what was in it, he saw that his driver friend was being helped tremendously by that information. Finally, David asked where he got his car. He gave it to me to use, his friend said, pointing at the man in the passenger seat. Gave it to you? That's right, and he'll give you one too, on two conditions. What conditions? Well, first, you have to let him go with you wherever you go. By the way, that's not so hard. Once you get to know him, you wouldn't want to go anywhere or do anything without him. So what's the other condition? You have to become a driver instead of a walker. But almost all my friends are walkers. Yeah, that's true, David, but almost all your friends are tired too. So are you. David thought about the deal and finally agreed. His friend immediately drove him to the new car lot, and David spied the car he wanted. When he opened the door and climbed into the driver's seat, it seemed like it had been made just for him. Much to his amazement, 
The kind man was sitting next to him, smiling. So off they drove. Driving seemed so easy. The man showed him how to steer, taught him about road signs and why they should be obeyed, warned him of dangers, and took him on trips to beautiful places. One day, the man told him to drive to school. Drive to school? Are you nuts? David asked, shocked. All my friends will think I'm crazy. Did you think your driver friend was crazy? The man asked quietly. Yeah, I mean, well, a little at first anyway. I mean, but you don't understand. My friends can't handle this yet. This is all too new. No, today wouldn't be a good time for this at all. Tomorrow would be much better. Yeah, that's it. Tomorrow I'll drive to school, okay? The man fell silent as David took off down the road toward the beautiful mountains they had seen yesterday. As they drove, they passed strange-looking buildings where drivers seemed to be putting some kind of liquid into their cars. The man kept gently encouraging David to stop and pull in. Not today, sir. I don't have time for that. We've got to get to the mountains and back before dark. Maybe tomorrow. The man became very quiet again. David flipped on the radio so he wouldn't feel so alone. Some stations had speakers giving driving tips from the owner's manual. Then there would be songs about the importance of stopping at gas stations. <clears throat> Stupid station, David muttered as he looked for something else. He finally found some music that he liked. Some songs talked about the great things walkers could do. Other songs warned him not to listen to anyone except himself. He began to think about all that he was missing now that he was a driver. Soon the car started acting funny. They were well up in the mountains by now with few other cars around. As the car ground to a halt, David asked the man what was wrong. He seemed to be asleep. David was angry at the car and at the man. Got out, slammed the door, and looked under the hood as he'd seen others do, but he had no idea what he was looking for. I'm not getting anywhere this way, David grumbled to himself. Hey, can you help me push this stupid thing? He yelled at the man, but got no response. So he started pushing the car back toward home. Every once in a while, he would encounter another driver pushing his car. They would kind of smile at each other bravely and then be on their way. Some of the pushing drivers told David they'd been doing this for years. They looked very tired. David wondered if they even remembered what actually driving the car was like. David passed a few service stations, and friendly people there would shout greetings and encouragement for him to drop in. Some told him that his car was out of gas, and they could help him fill up again. It's all written right there in the owner's manual, one of them said. Sorry, not today. I'm too busy. Maybe tomorrow, David said as he pushed on. The hardest part was having to endure the laughter and pointing fingers of the walkers he passed or who passed him. David wished that he had never become a driver at all. He was more tired than ever, and now it was growing dark, and he was a little bit scared. Well, have you ever wondered what it takes to be a successful and fruitful Christian? What does it take for this Christian thing to work, anyway? Reading the Bible? Praying? Going to church? Giving money? Sharing your faith? Healthy relationships? These are all extremely important, no question about it. But as important as all those things are, there is a missing ingredient in that description of a successful and fruitful follower of Jesus. Without this ingredient, those previous items mentioned will be flat. 
In addition, without this ingredient, the cake, so to speak, of your life will be sure to fall. So what is that missing ingredient? That's the topic for today's message. Will you pray with me? Lord, open our eyes to see. Flip the switch in our hearts. Amen. I fooled you, didn't I? That was a quickie, wasn't it? I was expecting a long prayer. Well, you might recall that in the final hours of Jesus' life on earth, Peter, one of the disciples, vowed to stay with him, even if it meant his own death. You might remember that. Later that night, three times, Peter cowardly denied that he even knew Jesus at all, uh, cursing and likely dropping a few Hebrew profanities in the process. Jesus had warned Peter that that would happen. There was a missing ingredient in Peter's life. Less than two months later, though, something incredible happened, and Dr. Luke wrote about it in Acts chapter 2, and the scripture will be up. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So a huge crowd gathers. People were in uh, Jerusalem because of the uh, Feast of Pentecost uh, trying to find out what was going on. People from all different languages and nations and they were hearing the disciples speak of the mighty works of God in their own language. Languages, by the way, that the disciples had not learned in high school. We also see a very different Peter there. And we'll see that scripture on the slides there. It says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which was nine o'clock in the morning. The bars were not open yet. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter said that what Joel, the prophet, had predicted 900 years before was playing out before their very eyes in that place. The Holy Spirit was being poured out on all people, young and old, male and female. It didn't matter where you were from. doesn't matter what your economic condition is. The Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people. Peter went on to fearlessly preach in the same city where seven weeks earlier Jesus had been crucified. Peter, no longer cowardly, but boldly preaching the gospel. And by the way, 3,000 people were saved and we're baptized. Now, can you imagine the logistics of that pastoral staff here? Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? What changed in Peter? Well, personally, my own story, I grew up uh, in a home that was not a Christian home at all. I couldn't stand going to church, barely went to church. Uh, thought the Christian faith was irrelevant, stupid, unscientific, boring, and contrary to all common sense, full of myths and fables was the Bible, I thought. I didn't believe in God at all. But six months after my older brother, 
got up the courage to tell me about his faith in Jesus, that same Jesus rescued me from my sin and my selfishness and death. I put my faith in him one Christmas Eve to save me. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I really didn't. I was 18 years old at the time. My new life in Christ was great. I was excited for a while. Then things got really rough. My sophomore year at the university, I went to Penn State University, go Lions, uh, was probably the worst of my life. I got into the partying scene, it was so empty. I was discouraged, I was defeated. My classes were the worst uh, all through the four years of college. I had high-end physics and math courses. My grades crashed. I was confused, I was frustrated. The Christian life seemed to be working for other people, but not for me. What's wrong with me? I took long walks at night on the Penn State golf course, way out there just yelling at God, trying to clear my head. Folks, I was a Christian mess. But by the next summer, I'd become so desperate for answers that I actually started listening to my older brother. Now, you know that's a miracle for those of you who know older brothers. He seemed like the ideal Christian to me. He had joy in his heart that I couldn't seem to find, and that was extremely annoying. I hated to admit it, but I was dying to know his secret. There was a missing ingredient in my life. My brother gave me a little booklet that was put out by Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, and I devoured it. See, I'd already trusted Jesus as my Savior, but there was no power. The solution for me was not to ask Jesus or keep asking Jesus into my heart. I'd probably done that a million times. God was probably tired of hearing me pray that. He's already there. My problem was not that Christ was not in me, but I, I was not allowing Christ and his power to live through me. That was the answer. By God's grace, I discovered how to be filled that is directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. A vital switch had been flipped on in my heart. I had found the missing ingredient. Well, let's lay the foundation a little bit about the Holy Spirit here briefly uh, in a scripture study. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, Jesus said to his disciples, Dr. Luke wrote this in his book, his first one, it says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, these disciples had spent three years walking around with Jesus, listening to him teach, listening to him preach, watching him do miracles, watching him pray. Uh, they saw him die on the cross. They, they witnessed his resurrection from the dead. What more could there be? What was the missing ingredient for them? Why did Jesus say to them, stay put, don't move, stay in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes? Before Jesus went to the cross, he taught the disciples about the helper, the Holy Spirit. In John 14, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, that's the people without Christ, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be 
in you. Jesus also said in John 16, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, that's God the Father, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, that is, he was leaving, sorrow has filled your heart. Now catch this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, there's a few truths about the Holy Spirit we want to point out here. If you're taking notes, here's a couple of points. Number one, the Holy Spirit is God. When Jesus said that the Father would send another helper, the word another means another one like me, just like me. In other words, Jesus was saying that the helper, the Holy Spirit, is just going to be like me. So if you're wondering what's the Holy Spirit like, then look at Jesus, because the character of actually God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all identical. They're all God. One God, three persons. You are not getting the third stringer of the Trinity when you get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, equal in nature with God the Father and God the Son. <clears throat> okay? Can we say that together? The Holy Spirit is God. Let me hear you say that. He's not a force. Not a, not a you know, strange, ethereal entity. He is God. Okay? Very important. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit was the one who inspired the writers of the Bible to write. Now, inspiration is not just like a poet is inspired by the beauty of creation. God breathed his word into his servants who wrote it down the way he wanted it to. <clears throat> and by the way, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can enable you to understand this word of God because it's spiritual truth, okay? You need the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. There's nothing but truth in the Holy Spirit. He never leads or guides contrary to the word of God. Now, deceiving spirits can and will twist or even distort or even give doctrine contrary to the word of God, but the Holy Spirit never will. When you are led by and filled with the Holy Spirit, your words and your life will be in accordance with the word of God. Okay, always. So that's the second point. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. <clears throat> Number three, it is better to have the Holy Spirit in you than to have the person of Jesus beside you. Now think about that for a second. I don't know about you, but if I was walking around and Jesus was actually, you know, the man Jesus, walking next to me, you know, uh, I don't think he'd wear a robe and sandals now. You know, he'd probably look a lot like we would. But if that were the case, I would feel pretty confident about my day, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd sort of have a holy swagger about me, you know, like no, nothing bad's going to happen to me. I mean, here's Jesus. Wow, you know, he knows what to say and what to do. I mean, he's perfect and all that. He's right with me. You know, that would be awesome. But Jesus said that it is better to have the Holy Spirit in us than Jesus beside us. Now, let me just make a point. Our, our church motto is helping people, what, find and follow Jesus. Now, I've got good news for you is that long before we find Jesus, he's out looking for us. He's pursuing us, he's going after us, and he makes himself findable, <laughs> so to speak, to us. But the following part, you know, we think about following someone, they're out there, and I'm running to chase them, trying to keep up with them. That's not the way it works. When we follow Jesus, we're following him 
his spirit who is inside of us, okay? That's, that's how that following Jesus part works. So every true Christian, this is extremely important, every true Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside him or her. Listen to this scripture, Romans 8 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Did you catch that? So if you're a true Christian, you've invited Jesus to come into your life to forgive your sins and all that, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Now, that ought to shake you up a little bit. It also ought to make you very excited because God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you and me. Can I get a holy grunt or something out of somebody? I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. However, there's a huge difference between having the Holy Spirit inside of you and allowing the Holy Spirit to be in charge of you. Did you catch that? See, not all Christians are allowing God's Spirit to be in the driver's seat, so to speak. Why is it that so many Christians, tragically, are not filled with, that is, directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit? Well, there are four main reasons, and I'll touch on them briefly. The first one is ignorance. This is new news for you. There are people who don't understand, as Christians, that uh, the Holy Spirit dwells in them, Uh, They're not aware of that. There were actually some people in the book of Acts that didn't understand that, uh, and that can still happen today. Uh, The amazing thing that we neglect and miss is that the Holy Spirit and his power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power dwells in you if you're a child of God today. That ought to make some kind of difference, don't you think? It can. I'm going to talk about how that happens in a moment. The Apostle Paul prayed that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Ask God even now, Lord, flip the switch in my heart. Help me to see this. Help me to understand this. Help me to grasp how important this is. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. Secondly, uh, the second reason why many people are not filled with the Holy Spirit is fear. This is scary news to you. See, many people see things in the Bible or they have gone to some churches where there's some unusual activity going on. It it, it confuses them, it scares them, it frightens them. Uh, They don't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit because, you know, it seems so weird if you are. You know, let me me try to debunk that a little bit. It's kind of funny. Somebody once said, you know, in a lot of our churches today, you have the Holy Trinity being God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Now, the Bible is the Word of God. I love the Word of God. We don't worship the Word of God. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now, I'm going to share a couple instances because, uh, by and large, most of our lives, when you're filled with the Spirit, abiding in Christ, walking by the Spirit, God's just leading and guiding you during the day. You don't always get it right. So if you mess up, you confess it to the Lord, and you ask Him to take over again. That's, That's a normal part of life. But there are realities of the supernatural. Folks, my prayer is, and maybe your prayer could be, is, Lord, I want everything from you and nothing from the devil. Is that a good prayer? I want everything you have for me because his will is good and acceptable and perfect. I was uh, one time giving an example. Uh, I was traveling on a bus in London. I was part of a project that was helping high school students share their faith in the schools in England. And I was uh, sitting in my seat but turned around facing the back because there were some of the students and I was talking to them. 
all of a sudden I had an overwhelming sense of the presence of darkness towards the front of the bus. And so I whirled around so fast because I, I was afraid somebody just walked on the bus with a gun or something. It was that strong. Well, interestingly enough, two Mormon missionaries had just walked on the bus that instant. Now, I was in spiritual authority and protection over these students, and I needed to be on my guard and on the alert, and the Lord alerted me to that. Now, I don't have eyes in the back of my head. Mothers do, but I don't. There's no way that my five senses could have told me what was going on. It was the Holy Spirit. There was another time I was taking a young lady through the steps to freedom in Christ, and when I do that, there's always a woman prayer partner there for protection and ethics and all that good stuff. Um, and we weren't getting anywhere. I mean, she just was stuck. And I hadn't been thinking about this. I hadn't really been reading about it, but it came to my mind. Ask her if she's had an abortion. Turns out she'd had two. And getting past the guilt and shame of that was the critical key that unlocked her freedom. Christ, I, I didn't know that. I couldn't have known that. She didn't tell me. But God, the Holy Spirit did. Another time I was preparing for my evening messages at a conference for youth. While I was praying that afternoon, minding my own business, God showed up and started putting on my mind something he wanted me to say that night. No matter how hard I argued with God, tried to dismiss it, tried to uh, rationalize it, say, no, that's, that can't be God, and all that, it just kept being on my heart. This is what God told me I needed to say before a group probably about twice the size. There's someone here in leadership in this youth event that is involved in sexual sin that is causing a hindrance of the Spirit of God in that youth group. Now, put yourself in my shoes for a moment. What if God told you to stand up here and say that? I mean, I was scared. I mean, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What if I'm wrong? You know? So finally, you know, I got up that night and I told everybody, this is what I think the Lord's saying to me here. I wasn't condemning. I wasn't, let's say it, the Lord, you know, or pointing at somebody and having people cringe or something. I was scared, but I was obedient. After I finished my message, and by the way, after that moment, I don't know that anyone blinked. They were just staring at me like that. This lady comes up to me afterward and said, I'm the one that God told you about. I found another uh, older veteran youth leader, and we got together with her, and at our direction and encouragement and her willingness, she called the guy on the phone and, and broke off the relationship over the phone right there. That night, she went to the youth group and confessed to the kids what she'd done. The floodgates opened. All the kids started talking about their areas of sin, the things, and they just started confessing and weeping with each other. A mini revival broke out. What, what would have happened or not happened if I had not been obedient to that? That's how the Holy Spirit works. Folks might say, well, that's kind of scary. I don't know if I want that. Oh, don't miss out. God, whatever God has for you, whatever God has for you, receive it. It's good. It's acceptable. It's perfect for you. Well, it um, can be scary to think about somebody else in charge of your life 
rather than yourself, you know. The, but let me remind you, the Holy Spirit is God, and he loves you. His gifts are always good and acceptable and perfect. <clears throat> you can trust him, you can receive these gifts and not be afraid. You know, I, I think that sometimes we kind of have a scales in our minds, a balance. And when we think about fully surrendering to the Lord and what that might look like, on one side, we put all the risks, okay? What are people going to say about me? What's going to happen? How am I going to feel? Am I going to be embarrassed? You know, all this kind of stuff. And, and over here, we put the rewards. What's the good that can happen? If fear controls you, the risks will always outweigh the rewards in your mind. But if faith controls you, the rewards will always outweigh the risks. Is it worth the risk? See, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to stand before God one day and have Jesus say to me, let me show you what might have been. What could have been if you had just trusted me. Well, third reason why many people are not filled with the Holy Spirit is an unwillingness to turn from sin. This is uncomfortable news for you if this is your category. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And he also said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Folks, God wants to fill us, his vessel, with the Holy Spirit, but he will not fill that vessel until it's empty of all the garbage we've accumulated. Now, how do you empty the garbage, so to speak? How do you delete everything out of the trash bin? By confessing to the Lord what you've done and turning away from it. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please cleanse me and forgive me. We'll give you an opportunity in a little while to do that. But that's what it takes. Now, I've got good news for you. If you're struggling with a particular sin or even a sinful addiction or whatever, the Holy Spirit has the power to break that hold over you. You can't do it yourself. You never could. You never will be able to. But the Holy Spirit can do it. He can set you free. But you have to be willing to come on his terms. And that means that you're going to bid for farewell to that sinful condition you're in and let him take over. See, when we harm others by what we say, hurt others by our unforgiveness and bitterness, talk about others, gossip, slander, all that kind of stuff, the Scripture calls that grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You can't be grieving the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit at the same time. Fourth reason is complacency, a satisfaction with a spiritual status quo. This is irrelevant news for you. You've tuned me out a long time ago because you're already very content and satisfied, probably smug, with how your life is going. You don't need anything, you think. This is the kind of person when Jesus invites them to come to him, the fountain of living waters, the bread of life. You'll never be hungry or thirsty anymore. You'll have the most incredible, satisfying life possible. Yeah, it'll be tough, but it'll be an adventure. He'll be with you through it. Oh, not boring, not mundane, anything like that. This person answers God and says, no thanks, I'm good. 
Why rock the boat? Things are going okay. I'm making a decent living. Things are fine at home. I'm going to church. I'm a respectable person. What more does God expect of me anyway? Brothers and sisters, it's not just what God expects of you. It's what he offers you. It's what he offers you. If you could see the adventure that God has for you, that awaits for you, if you'll just trust him, you wouldn't wait a moment. If this condition of pride and complacency describes you, I've got news for you, you are not good. You are not okay. Things are not okay. You have been deceived. Scripture says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Sadly, sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we realize how much we need him. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Most of us don't believe that. Most of us believe we can do an awful lot apart from Jesus, and that's how we live our lives. Oh, God. Oh, people. Don't. Don't wait till you hit rock bottom. Today, you can say, I've been deceived. I've been thinking the Christian life is just trying to be a good person, going to church and all this kind of stuff, and I've missed the missing ingredient. Today, that can change. Well, um, I'd like you, to, before I close, to have an opportunity to hear from my lovely wife, Shirley. Come on up and grab that microphone, sweetheart. And uh, she's going to talk about how being filled with the Holy Spirit has been important to her. So let's get her wired up here, mic'd up. Can you give her a hand? Because she's a little nervous about these things. She's actually an internationally known Bible teacher. Shirley Miller of ShirleyMinistries.com <laughs> Ministries. Here she is. Well, I grew up going to church all of my life, but it wasn't until my junior year in college that I went to a, a conference for high, for high school, for college students that I really understood what it meant to be a Christian, and that was through the teaching of Dr. Charles Stanley, who many of you are familiar with. I got very excited during that conference, and that's the time when I point to when I became a Christian. But I went back to my campus, which was Georgia Southern, and for the next six months, I was pretty much up and down, floundering. I just couldn't decide if I was really going to totally follow the Lord. I had a lot of friends that were not Christians, and the environment I had been in um, was, was pretty non-Christian. So anyway, toward the summertime, I was thinking, I think I might go back to my old life. But what happened was, for one thing, I believed that many people were praying for me, and I had a little bit of extra time that summer, and I began to read the New Testament. And there were many, many verses that spoke to me. In fact, the whole New Testament did. I was underlining almost everything I wrote, everything I read. But when I read about Jesus sending a helper, that really excited me. Rich has already shared those verses. Because I knew I needed a lot of help. And to know that the Holy Spirit would be with me. I knew that he had come into me at salvation. But to know that he would be with me forever and that I could give my life to him, that excited me very much. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 was a real turning point in my life. Specifically verse 2 that said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. And I realized at that moment, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting in this little campus apartment, and I said, Lord, I've been trying to be conformed to the world. I've been trying to fit in with everybody and please everybody, and I've been afraid to really follow you. And I choose today to totally give my life to you. No matter what happens, I give my life to you today. So that was many years ago. But I began to see many changes from the inside out. And when I got to Romans 5.18, where it says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, I said, oh, that's quite the contrast there. Because what had happened, I had developed a bit of a fondness for alcohol during that time. And what I was realizing was that as I was growing in the Lord, He was giving me more peace and joy than I had ever had and changing me from the inside out. So it wasn't a situation where I can't do this anymore. But what happened was, I didn't want that or need that anymore because I was experiencing his spirit working through me. In Galatians 5.25, which many of you all know, which talks about the fruit of the spirit, it says that it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Um, I won't call it, name them all out. But I began to ask the Lord to work those through my life and to develop in me more of an inner peace and more joy. And I was so excited about following the Lord for the because of the changes that I was seeing. Since then, I still have to remember to remind myself that God's power lives inside of me. There are those times that I forget. And I, there are some days when I'm just exhausted. And I think, Lord, I just I can't keep some of these commitments I have today. But there have been so many times when I've gone to the Lord and said, I need for your spirit to touch me, Lord. I'm tired today. I ask that you would fill me and empower me with your spirit and flow through me. And I've seen a major change there. There's also things in my life sometimes that cause stress. And there have been a lot of times where I just have, pretty often, where I just have to stop and say, Lord, I'm feeling a bit of stress today. I ask that your spirit would empower me, that I would be totally dependent on your spirit. And I ask for your peace and your joy to fill me from your spirit. And um, there are times that I have to look back on the day and remember that I didn't quite do that like I should have. But anyway, just in closing, one of my life verses is Ephesians 3.20 that says, He is able to do far beyond anything that we could ever ask or think, according to the power that works within us. And so I'm thrilled and have been thrilled ever since I first read that verse that His power lives in me. And he lives in you, too, if you're a Christian and can do more than you could ever ask or think. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> what uh, Shirley failed to mention was those times of stress sort of began to spike on August 12th, 1989. It's our wedding date. <laughs> well... Let's look at the question as we conclude, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 5, 15 to 18, a scripture uh, on the screen says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So he's setting this up. What is it that is God's will here? Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not a one-off experience. 
where you have it, and okay, I'm good for the rest of my life. No, all through the book of Acts, you see Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the word actually means be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? And it's, a, it's an ongoing thing in our lives. Um, now, it can, however, have a starting point in our lives, and that's what we want to help you find perhaps today. So I'm going to ask uh, four questions and give you an opportunity to pray in response to them. Uh, the prayers will be up on the screen, uh, and then we'll finish very briefly hearing what happens to our buddy David. Okay, um, first of all, the question is, are you thirsty? Jesus offers to fill you to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe you have already understood how to be full of the Spirit. You just want a fresh touch from God. That's your desire. Maybe you have been living life in your own strength and power, and God's giving you, even as we talk, a desire for this supernatural life. If that's the case, then would you join with me in praying? And you can pray. Probably be best to pray out loud. Helps you to focus and concentrate. I'm praying out loud. You can pray out loud. Let's pray together. Dear God, I'm tired of an ordinary once a week, discouraging, and very often defeated Christian life. I am thirsty for more of you. I see the lives of the early disciples, and I want that closeness to you, that fire for the risen Lord Jesus, the boldness to be your witness. I cannot manufacture this fire myself. I need the power of God in my life. The second question is, are you willing to confess the sins the Lord is showing you? 1 John 1, 9, it's a great promise. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is just agreeing with God and saying, God, you're right, I've been wrong. And so in a moment, we're gonna pray a prayer, part of it together, and then give you an opportunity while Mike plays in the background just for you to have a little bit of personal time with God. Whatever he's bringing to your mind, whatever he's showing you needs to be gotten off your chest, whatever has been haunting you, whatever has been bothering you, whatever has been hindering you from walking with Christ, here's the chance to get rid of it. Let's pray together. Father, I am very aware of the sins that I have committed and am committing regularly, both the ones that others see and are hurt by, as well as the secret ones that I think no one sees. Lord, you see them all. And so I come to you now to admit them and receive your forgiveness and your cleansing. I want to be clean. I need to be clean. Just quietly, you don't have to do this out loud, just in your heart, whatever the Lord's showing you. Say, Lord, you're right. I've been wrong. I've been trying to do this Christian life on my own. Hurt people held on to my anger and bitterness grudges I've been lying been afraid afraid to talk about you afraid to admit I'm a Christian God people are dying around me and I can't even open my mouth to share the good news with them oh God forgive me maybe you've been rebellious anyone tell you what to do even if what they're trying to get you to do is right and helpful oh God forgive me cleanse me please 
Lord, stir in hearts now. Just bring to folks' minds the things that you want them to face and deal with. The Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't condemn you for your sins. Jesus already was condemned for your sins. You can come to him and say, Jesus, thank you for dying for that. I'm sorry that sin put you on the cross. Thank you for forgiving me. Oh, God, merciful God, cleanse our hearts today. Though our sins have been like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Oh, God, thank you for your forgiveness of these things. The third question, a very telling question, are you willing to surrender control to God? We've talked about that and the fears of that and all, but God loves you. You can trust him. The Bible, in fact, says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God. It's like you're laying yourself on the altar. Lord, I'm yours. He's not going to kill you on that altar. You're a living sacrifice to him. If that's your heart, you can pray along with me the prayer on the slide. Lord, you are a good God, and you only want good for me. I am sorry that I have doubted your love and goodness and out of fear and pride try to control my life myself. You want every part of me, and so now I surrender to you my mind, what I think about, my heart, what I love, my emotions, what I feel, my will, what I choose to do, my hands, what I do, my feet, where I go, my eyes, what I look at, my ears, what I listen to, my mouth, what I say, every other part of me, Lord, it's yours. Take it. Take it. Please take over. Glorify yourself through my body. If these prayers have expressed your heart, then we can move on to the fourth. Will you ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit? You can do that today, folks. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Is this a longing of your heart today? Folks, it's time. It's time to pop, stop pushing the dad gum car. Will you pray with me? Father, would you now please fill me with the Holy Spirit? Please direct and empower my life so that I have the strength and energy to do what pleases you and the boldness to tell others the good news of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Whatever you want for me and however you would choose to use me, I receive. I look forward to how my life will be different as I live each day by trusting you. Amen. Well, as we conclude, and I believe we'll have a song in a moment, let's find out how 
David gets out of this mess. Finally, when David was at the point of exhaustion, a fellow driver pulled up and got out of his car. Hey, buddy, you really look worn out. What's going on? I'm trying to get home, David told him. Listen, don't you realize your car has an engine in it? It has a lot more power than you do. Yeah, I know. It was great at first, but I just can't figure out how to get it going again. David was almost in tears as he looked into the other driver's sympathetic eyes. I know exactly what you mean. I pushed my car for years before I realized I needed to take the time and stop at a service station and fill up with gas. David couldn't believe what he was hearing. Ah, I've been so stupid. The man who owns my cars keeps telling me that, but I wouldn't listen. Yeah, neither did I. Listen, don't be a stubborn jerk like I was. Let me help push you into that gas station up ahead. And by the way, if you tell the owner how foolish you've been and tell him you want to listen to what he has to say again, I think he might help us. The two drivers had been so busy talking that they had not noticed David's car was already halfway to the gas station. The owner had quietly slipped out of his seat and begun pushing for them. Hey, wait up, David yelled, the tears streaming down his face. You don't have to do that by yourself. Let me help. David ran as fast as he could to catch up with the man. When he reached him, he was out of breath. Sir, I've been so busy listening to me that I stopped listening to you. Will you forgive me? The man smiled. My brother David, you can call me Jesus. Now will you stop yakking and start pushing? We've got to get you home so you can be ready to drive to school tomorrow, right? Oh yeah, I did say that, didn't I? David looked kind of sheepish. Yeah, you did. You'll go with me? David asked hopefully. I went with you today, didn't I? David nodded. David, my friend, my dear friend, The question is not whether I will go with you. I will never leave you or desert you. The question is, will you go with me?